Well, good morning again, and we're so glad that, that you're here and uh, celebrating uh, Christmas with us this morning. We've done a series the last few weeks looking at the life and ministry of, of Mary, which was a lot of fun, but we're just going to do a different uh, sermon looking at a, a different aspect of, of Christmas this morning. Christmas is a fun time for me to be able to participate in some of the traditions that, that we have and participate in the things that help to make Christmas Christmas. But then there's times when you take a step back and think about like, why is it that we do like some of the things that, that we do? Uh, for example, I saw an article about why it is that we hang stockings and historians aren't really exactly sure uh, why that is. But uh, there are some people who speculate that it has to do with a tradition that happened on the eve of St. Nicholas's feast day um, several hundred years ago that on December 5th, young kids would put out shoes that were full of hay and then uh, St. Nicholas's donkey would eat the hay and then put in um, coins and be replaced with treats as they would wake up uh, the, the next morning. And so then that changed from a shoe to hanging a stocking at the end of your bed. And that changed from a stocking to a really fashionably looking um, sock that you hang, like uh, that you get a special stocking. In fact, it's really interesting in the New York Times in 1883, there's an article that said this, in the days of the unobtrusive white stocking, no one could pretend that the stocking itself was a graceful or attractive object when hanging limp and empty from the foot of the bedstead. Now, however, since the adopting of decorated stockings, even the empty stocking may be a thing of beauty and its owner can display it with confidence. That was in 1883 that the New York Times is kind of like pro, hey, you know, let's get away from the tradition and hang some nice looking stuff up uh, instead of just your old limp sock. I don't know that I'd want my old socks hanging up uh, throughout uh, the house. So that's probably a good change that we're thankful for. So sometimes we wonder, like, what is, what is the history of this? What is going on with this tradition? What is the reason that we do this. And I'm so thankful. I know for me, I need the message of Christmas every year. I need the opportunity to remember what it is that, that Christ came into the world, that Christ comes through humility, that Christ doesn't come as a conqueror or a king as he would have been deserving, but he chooses to enter into the world in such a way that helps us, I think, to get a little bit outside of ourselves, to look at not only our lives, but to think about how we could be part of a larger story. Charles Dickens wrote A Christmas Carol in 1843, and in the writing of this, he wanted to create a parable for that time to show people what it was like to see a life that is transformed. And so Ebenezer Scrooge, who is a terrible miser, he ends up transforming his life. People who had asked him for money at the very beginning of the book, and he said no to, he's now throwing money to at the end. And it's like his life is completely changed and completely different. And the main reason for that is he's visited by three spirits, the ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present, and the ghost of Christmas future. And so Dickens describes the interaction with the ghost of Christmas present um, in some very interesting ways. So here's a few excerpts from that. This is describing what it was like. The sky was gloomy and the shortest streets were choked up with a dingy mist, half thawed, half frozen. This is in London, which I think London weather is always like this, uh, whose heavier particles descended in a shower of sooty atoms as if all the chimneys in Great Britain had by one consent caught fire and were blazing away to their dear heart's content. There was nothing very cheerful in the climate or the town, and yet there was an air of cheerfulness abroad that the clearest summer air and brightest summer sun might have endeavored to diffuse in vain. So the sky is gloomy, 
Yet there's something about this moment. The weather isn't great, but there's something working deeper in the lives of the people. And the visitation continues. There was nothing of high mark in this. They were not a handsome family, as he's describing the visit with the Cratchits. Their shoes were far from being waterproof. Their clothes were scanty. Just FYI for Christmas, you might have a ghost watching your Christmas. So like, <laughs> that's kind of interesting. Standing back is like, man, if someone was watching my Christmas, they might say the same thing. They were not a handsome family, uh, at least, at least for, for my part uh, in this. But I love how this continues. They were happy, grateful, pleased with one another and contented with the time. And when they faded and looked happier yet in the bright sprinklings of the Spirit's touch at parting, Scrooge had his eyes upon them and especially on tiny Tim. The visit with this ghost continues. And in most of what we see, we see generally that visit in this story of of, um, the Christmas carol. But actually he goes to many more places. He goes to a mining community, a lighthouse and a ship. And as this visit with this ghost of Christmas present is summed up, Dickens says this, much they saw and far they went and many homes they visited, but always with a happy end. The Spirit stood beside sick beds, and they were cheerful on foreign lands, and they were close at home by struggling men, and they were patient in their greater hope by poverty, and it was rich in almshouse, hospital, and goal, in misery's every refuge where vain man in his little brief authority has not made fast the door and barred the Spirit out. He left his blessing and taught Scrooge his precepts. And so Scrooge, who has been somebody who has hoarded money for as long as he can, not treated people, especially his employees, very well, as he spends this time getting a little bit outside of himself, what I think he's struck by, and ultimately what I would say it changes him, is he looks and sees that there are others who have way less than him, who really are in difficult circumstances, and yet they still have joy. As he looks outside of his own story, as he looks outside of himself, he realizes that there's a joy that's possible, even in difficult circumstances. One of the things that I think scripture teaches us is that it's dangerous to get everything that you want. Especially in the Old Testament, I think you have a pattern of God basically saying, all right, that's really what you want, go for it. And then the people get it. It's not necessarily what they want. And as Scrooge reflects on these different interactions and seeing that there's a joy that they have that he doesn't, he's invited into a deeper story. He's invited to think about what is it that that truly makes someone happy? What is it that that truly is is better? Because it's not really a handsome looking family over there. And I'm not pointing at anyone in here specifically, but it's not a handsome, I'm standing here looking at this and they don't have waterproof shoes. They don't have a whole lot. But they have a certain kind of joy. There was a study done several years ago that's fascinating. They They did a study with a group of people who had won the lottery. And then they had another group of people who had been disabled by an accident. And for the people who were disabled, it was like varying levels. Some of them were in wheelchairs, but they had 
Somebody had lost something. They had vision before and they lost their vision or they had an arm before and they lost an arm. It's a terrible accident. So this study just followed them. And the people who won the lottery at the beginning of this study, they were obviously very happy, right? It's like, okay, there we go. And those who had been in the accident, they weren't. They didn't have very high levels of happiness. But they found that very shortly afterwards, the positions changed for both of these groups. That after six months, if you visit the person who has won the lottery and suddenly has every cousin coming out of the woodwork to ask for money, and you visit the person who had a difficult accident, actually the people who had the difficult accident, they are much happier after just six months. Because for that person who was in an accident that was difficult, what they gain is perspective. Yeah, perhaps they don't have that thing that they once had that they took for granted. But now they look around and recognize the gift that everything else is. They look around and they realize just how blessed they are, even though they're not quite the same as they were before, to be with the people that they're with. And when you think about that, you're like, well, I'd still sign up for the lottery. Sure, I understand that. But may we all have a perspective that understands what is truly most important and what's significant. Because again, we think we know what we really want. But I think the invitation of Scripture is to trust in God, to get outside of ourselves, to truly ask the hard questions like, what is it that I really, really want out of life? So to begin this message, I want to go to the book of Habakkuk, which I'm sure you were expecting to listen to during the Christmas season. Habakkuk is, is a very short book uh, in the Old Testament, it's this prophet Habakkuk who is bringing some, some real concerns uh, before God. And basically Habakkuk says, you're not doing that great of a job running the world. In fact, I would love to have that opportunity. You know, let me come. Like there's some things that are, that are really difficult for me to understand. And so he ends up like kind of bringing these things before God. And then God basically just says, trust me, I'm still here. I'm in control. And I know that's maybe hard for you to understand right now. I know that's difficult, but just trust that I'm still active, that I'm still at work. And so at the end of Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter three, Habakkuk says this, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord and I will be and I will be joyful in God, my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights for the director of music on my stringed instruments, which is a great end. Like, don't try to play this on piano. Uh, like, <laughs> when, when I'm dead and gone, I don't want you to try to put this to a stringed instrument. I, I want this on a stringed instrument. Don't try to do it some other way. So if you go back to the start of that passage for me, Corbin. So, Habakkuk basically says, after this conversation, saying, God, like, it's really messed up how you're running the world, and you know, maybe I could get a chance at taking the wheel for a little bit. Uh, and God says, just, just trust me, basically. Habakkuk then, he describes some stuff that's hard. And I know for most of us, probably in this room, uh, most of us haven't had a whole lot of experiences where we don't know where our next meal is coming from. 
But Habakkuk is among a people that if your fig tree isn't producing, and if the olive crop is filled, when there's no food, when there's no sheep, there's no money, there's not a Burger King to run to. And this is like, it's really hard stuff. And for those of us who are entering into this Christmas season, we likely have a thing. And for us, it's probably different than fig trees and olives and and sheep in the pen. But there are things about our family or about our world that we could all just list to God and say, God, you know, you're not doing all that good. I was hoping by this Christmas, like, you know, this thing would be figured out in my life. Or I was hoping by this Christmas that I wouldn't have to sit across from that uncle that I don't like that much. Or whatever it is. I was hoping that, you know, by this time, this was going to happen in my life. So Habakkuk, I mean, this is like very, this is like food. You know, we do not, not all of us have food to eat. So we all collectively, there's things that we would say, God, it would probably help me if this was better. You know, God, what are, what are you doing about this situation? And it's not fake. It's, it's real to you. And we could probably say a few of these things, these kind of things that are struggles for us as we think about the brokenness that uh, exists in our world. And so Habakkuk, he says, you know, this stuff is, is really hard. And in fact, I still don't even really fully understand it. And God, you haven't necessarily given me a great answer about this. You haven't said, yeah, just wait six months and the crops will be back. Now, this is a real issue. And so for those of us who are coming into this Christmas season with heavy hearts, maybe it's the first Christmas without somebody or the first Christmas that you're celebrating that something is just different in your life and it's hard for you. You have company with someone like Habakkuk who says, God, you asleep at the wheel up there? What's happening here? Yet, Habakkuk says, I still trust that God is at work. And that in a nutshell, I think, is truly the story of the Christmas season, that God chooses like imperfect people and says, I want to be with him. I want to be with her. You are the one who I have chosen to come with. You are the one who I'm willing to come near. I think of Ebenezer Scrooge and his transformation. He sees many things, goes many places, but I would argue the thing that transforms him the most is seeing tiny Tim, who is hobbling, who's poor, and yet he's just filled with joy. He's the one who in all the movies says, God bless us, everyone, right? May we have some of that spirit. I can't help but think of my own kids as they're very excited. We haven't even started wrapping any Christmas presents yet because we know that they would probably rip them apart right now. There's so much joy in our kids this season. They remind us of the kind of joy, I think, the hope that we have in God. And I love that 
when kids are brought to Jesus, the disciples are like, hold on, leave them, leave them out of this. And Jesus is basically like, I want to play with them for a while. Disciples, you guys get out of here. Because we all need to have perspective to be like little children. I've heard it said that kids on average laugh 200 times a day. And adults on average laugh about 10 to 15 times a day. You learn not to be happy, to have that kind of simplistic, childlike joy. And I know that it's not possible to maybe just laugh about everything. I know there's difficult circumstances for all of us, but may we have the perspective that Habakkuk ends up having and says, yeah, there's, there's some really hard stuff that I'm dealing with, but God still, I'm going to trust that you're at work. I'm still going to trust that there are things that are outside of my purview that I don't fully understand. I'm going to trust that you still are at work in my life. I think of the story of the shepherds who are visited by an angel. So in Luke chapter 2, uh, it, it tells us this about these shepherds. I think that, yeah. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were terrified. So they experienced this angel, and the angel comes and gives them this news, and they're somewhat feeling this excitement, but there's also this spirit of, this is fear. This is, this is like something that is very outside of the ordinary. And for us to try and understand exactly what a shepherd would have been, it's the lowest of the low in that society. So whatever job you think of, perhaps, that you think would be kind of at the low rung in our society, that's what it was. It was the shepherds. Not only were they the shepherds, but they're the night shepherds. So it's like the, the night version of, of this group. And so it's the, the lowest of the low and the night version of this. And the, the word comes to these shepherds, an angel, an angel comes and brings us news that a baby has been born. And I love how the angel says this, a baby has been born to you. And I think we could all benefit by just thinking about that for a moment, that whatever our circumstances, whatever is happening in our lives, this is what we celebrate this Christmas season, that a baby has been born to us. That 2,000 years ago, this baby came into the world and it still changes everything, not just for shepherds a long time ago, but for us. We live with a little bit more joy and a little bit more understanding because God comes to low-wage workers who are out in a field. And God says, you guys come to the party. I'm not inviting the regals or those who are important. I'm, instead, I'm choosing to bring this news to you. And then the shepherds go and they interact with Jesus. And Luke chapter 2, verses 16 through 20 tells us this, they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who were lying in the manger. When they'd seen him, they spread word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying God for all the things they'd seen, which is just as they had been told. I want to stay with that line up there for a minute because it's almost haunting if you allow it to, to be. Well, the shepherds, they receive this news and they go and they do what they've been asked. They go and they, they praise God. And then it says, the shepherds returned. So they have this profound moment meeting Jesus Christ. And then they return. 
Uh, we don't know for sure if they went back to their job of night shepherding, but I would argue that it's probably likely that they did. What else are they going to do? So they have this unbelievable moment interacting with this baby that literally changes human history. Then it's like, and they were back to work on Monday. And think about that. And for these shepherds at a time when life, life expectancy wasn't all that long, it's likely they never like, truly understand or see or hear about the ministry of Jesus, you know? So they have this unbelievable moment where they do what they're called to do. They receive this great news from an angel and then they go back and things are still the same. They're still poor. Their lives aren't perfect. They've been part of this unbelievable thing that's going to change human history forever. And then they're back to night shepherding. They're back to whatever it is. They're just back to their normal lives. Everything has changed, and yet somehow it hasn't. Christ has come, and they've experienced this, and there's this, this jubilation. They get to experience all of this, and yet the shepherds return. They go back to what they know. I think this is an invitation to all of us to recognize what true joy and sustaining joy is. It's not that everything in our lives are going to be perfect or that everything in your Christmas season is going to be perfect. It's instead a commitment. It's us all saying that we are going to choose the light. We are going to, to choose to fight the darkness with our lives. We're going to recognize that, yeah, things are hard sometimes and it's difficult, but still God invites shepherds into this reality. God invites all of us into this. And it doesn't mean that everything is going to change, but I choose to participate in the light coming into the world. I choose to recognize that something did change in that moment and that has implications forever. And I'm going to be part of bringing light into the world. I'm going to be part of bringing joy into the world. It's a commitment to look at your life as it really is, where the figs aren't always there and when the olives aren't always there. And to say, you know, I know that that's the reality of my life, but yet I am going to persist in hope because of what God has done. Because God has invited me into this bigger story. I love how St. Augustine uh, describes sin. He says that it's invectus in se, which just means turned in on oneself. And I think more and more that describes all of us. Because with technology, we constantly have an understanding of like exactly where we are in the world. We understand exactly what should make us anxious about the world. It's like constantly coming at us. And so we are so just in on ourselves. And sometimes we need to just lift our eyes up a little bit to look to see what God is doing in the world and to recognize that, yes, that doesn't mean that that changes everything and makes life perfect, but still we believe that God is at work, that God came near. So these shepherds return. And on January 2nd or somewhere around there, you'll go back to work. 
that doesn't mean that God isn't with you. And I hope for you that during this Christmas season, we've helped for all of us to think about how God is at work in us, that we've connected our lives more and more to this story. That doesn't just change our lives on December 25th. Changes our every single day. Passage that we read earlier from John chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. And John uses this word there literally that means tabernacled among us. And that can be better translated as he basically put up a tent among us. One time, several years ago, I was preaching about this and I had Lars actually set up a tent on the stage. I didn't have him do it this time, but um, just as as a, a visual, like it's literally God puts his tent up among us. And that's how John describes Christ coming into the world. Imagine God setting up a tent in your backyard. That's what the coming of Christ is comes to you as as you really are in your brokenness, in your sin, in the issues that we all have, the struggles that we have, where we would say, God, here's about the three to five things that I'd want for you to fix. God says, just trust me that I'm with you even in your brokenness, even as things aren't perfect. As sometimes we come face to face and are made more aware of some of the hard things that we've struggled with during this last year when we come together at Christmas. But God says, I don't leave you alone there. Because the joy of God is something that is with us at all times. It's something that has sustained Christians for centuries. Maybe recognize that this joy comes from Just being like Habakkuk at times saying, God, I'm frustrated. I have these things, God, I want to pray. I lift my heart up to you about these things. But yet, I trust in you. My hope is in you. I believe that just as you chose to come to be with shepherds, with a young girl, I choose to believe that you come to be with me as I really am. And I'm going to participate as much as I can in the light of the world. Because we all need more people fighting the darkness. May we understand this Christmas that God comes near to all of us. Something changes, but yet we still have the grind of living in a broken world. May we come to trust more and more understanding that our joy isn't just about our circumstances, but our joy is found in God and in his son who changed the world forever. So church, a baby has been born to you as you really are. This is news that should change all of our lives and our hearts forever. Let's pray together. Father, may we recognize what this story is about. There are things that are hard and difficult on all of our hearts. We recognize that this season is a season of sadness for some people. But may we look for you and your activity even during this time. May we recognize that you choose to come 
be among us. The baby truly has been born to us. Let us celebrate that with all of our hearts together. In your son Jesus' name we pray, amen.